attention, please. This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive 3 until 6 p.m. weekdays on the Sports Hub. I love it. It's brilliant. The Los Angeles Clippers could learn a lesson from the Charlotte Bobcats. No, not the Hornets. The Bobcats. That lesson. When you have no history that's worth remembering, it's probably best that you turn the page to something new. I don't think I'm being hyperbolic when I say this has been the greatest month in the history of the Clippers. It started, we're at the very month, uh, end of the month of July. It started with the courting of Kawhi Leonard, the trade to Lamb Paul George. Then last week, it was the big introductory press conference where you had Doc Rivers sitting next to Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and of course Steve Ballmer taking the stage. The owner of the Clippers, I think, stole the show from the entire press conference with this. Love you, dear. I have these notes, but I gotta say I'm just fired up to be here today. It's pretty cool. Pretty damn cool. Woo! A lot of people have been saying that right there at the end. He sounds yeah, No, but a lot of people on social media have pointed out that he sounds a lot like Chris Farley and Tommy Boy. Maybe even Black Sheep. A lot of people, really just every single Chris Farley character. SNL lives in a van down by the river. Does Steve Ballmer sound a little bit like that? Woo! Let me hear the entire clip. And you be the judge of that. I'm trying to cite one person, but I've seen several people in social media make this joke. Love you, dear. I have these notes, but I gotta say, I'm just fired up to be here today. It's pretty cool. Pretty damn cool. <laughs> Woo! Fat guy, little coat. Fat guy, little coat. Now, now that you mention it, I can kind of picture him in the uh, the motivational speaker. Where does he live in a van down by the river? I can actually picture Steve Ballmer doing that. (laughs) So, that happened last week. Kawhi said he didn't put out a paragraph on social media. Then, the day after the press conference, Steve Ballmer revealed a multi-billion dollar stadium plan that he would fund a new arena that would have the Clippers in Inglewood. Yes, this guy right here. Mr. Excited having the new arena and funding it. Love you, dear. Yeah. Who's he saying? Yeah. That guy. I I love him, man. The Clippers have become our team. Kawhi Leonard is somebody who's created a lot of content for us. We have a direct line to Doc Rivers. But even as the the arena was being uh, being announced... The Clippers just couldn't stop helping themselves putting out stuff for us to consume, such as Steve Ballmer telling reporters that they might explore changing the logo and changing the team name altogether. Now, they're not going to move out of L.A. It's a good spot for them. But Ballmer said, quote, we have a once in a lifetime chance to really step up our identity here another level. I don't anticipate making a change, but we have a once in a lifetime opportunity. And that's the kind of thing you somehow do in consultation with the fans. Why not do it? I think the Clippers should absolutely 
change their logo, and change their name. I feel like the New Orleans Pelicans would benefit from changing their logo with Zion Williamson wave, uh, bringing in a new era of Pelicans basketball from Anthony Davis, who forced himself out. But putting the Pelicans aside and keeping it with the Clippers, much like the Pels, much like the Hornets, or make it the Bobcats, there isn't much Clipper history that you wouldn't mind wiping away if you're a Clipper basketball fan. I try to distance myself from all of it. What history do you really want to keep? Yeah, you have the Lob City years that never even got you to a conference finals. But Donald Sterling running it for 30-plus years, I'd do everything I can to separate myself from Donald Sterling and what the Clippers have been for a long time. In fact, I went and pulled up the all-time scoring list, Clippers history. So excluding the Buffalo Braves of the 60s and 70s, I can reel off right now the top five scorers in Clipper history. And while they are familiar names, it's a very sad top five. The top scorer has fewer than 11,000 points, only one, and the top scorer has cracked 10,000 points in his career. Would you like to take a guess who the all-time scoring leader, career scoring leader in Clippers history is? Hmm. I tiptoe through the graveyard of <laughs> careers that have gone through uh, the Clippers. Danny Manning was the first name that came to my mind. Danny Manning is number five on the list. Hmm. Danny Manning, number five. I'll, mm, my next guess would Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin is number one. Yeah. Blake Griffin, number one on the Clippers all-time scoring list. All right. <laughs> Congratulations to the Clippers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Averaging 21 a game, less than 11,000, but the only one to crack 10K. It gets sadder after that. Number two and number three, former Blue Devils, Elton Brand and Corey Maggette. Chris huh. Paul, number four. Danny Manning, number five. That's the all-time career scoring list. For the Los Angeles Clippers. There's three number one overall picks, I believe, in that uh, that group you had there, too. Yes. Wait, three? Wasn't Brand number one overall when he came Brand out? Brand definitely was number one. Danny Manning was number one when he came out. Yep, and Blake. And Blake, yeah. There you go. Clippers have always had, they've had this thing, they've been cursed with their number one picks for like the past like 40 years or something like that. And before anybody comes at me, going back to the Buffalo Braves days, Please do not. I don't want to hear about Bob McAdoo, who only played one year in the state of California. Do you know where the Clippers' name comes from? So they were the Buffalo Braves. They moved first, not to Los Angeles, but San Diego. Mm. So in San Diego, they thought it was a good name, a city that was known for great sailing ships passing through the night of the San Diego Bay. They'd be the Clippers, and when they moved to Los Angeles, they just kept the name. So it's not even a name for your city, much like the Los Angeles Lakers. doesn't make much sense, but nobody wants to rock Clipper gear. But people will buy into Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. So let those two guys sell a new brand and sell a new arena. The Clippers, they are more Lakers right now than the Lakers are. 
They have the richer, more eccentric owner. They're better ran. They have the star that chose them. They acquired another star. They have the star head coach. Doc Rivers, I'll let you give the pitch yourself. How do you feel about the name Clippers? Is there anything else you would name Los Angeles' team other than the Lakers? Hello? Is this on? It is on. It's on? Okay, I just want to You're make sure on the it was air, on. Doc. Me and, uh, me and Kawhi are at a Buffalo Wild Wings out here in Los Angeles, and uh, it's my first time here. What it do, baby? Yeah, you already know. All right, Kawhi. Kawhi right, okay. B-dubs. Right. That's a very random place. I don't know. Kawhi likes them. Do he, we do business with B-dubs? He really likes them. I, I don't, don't know think, why. I don't think we do business with B-dubs, but continue. He's weird. Have you ever seen a person eat a wing? They just put the whole thing in their mouth and pull the whole thing out, and all the meat's gone? That's what Kawhi does. It's crazy. I've never seen it before. It's awesome. It's believable. So uh, I asked you a question, though. Yeah, so uh, so Josh, I was running through a couple names of Kawhi, right? Just to see how he felt about some of them. You know, if we get a chance to move and play a little defense in San Diego or something. Kawhi doesn't seem like the person who would be good at naming teams. He's actually very methodical. I like him. <laughs> he, you know, he, he's, he's, he says a couple of words, but they're very meaningful. And he plays defense. So, you know, hey, what am I going to do? How about the Los Angeles LeBrons? Well, LeBron you know plays for another team in Los Angeles. That's true. That's true. You know, I don't want to step on any toes or anything like that. Just would that, that, maybe might would be, that be a tampering violation? The Los Angeles LeBrons? Doc, you've already gotten a tampering fine from the NBA for comments on Kawhi Leonard. If you just outwardly named the team the LeBrons, would that be a violation of NBA tampering rules? That, uh, I'm legitimately asking. That tampering, uh, that tampering situation's on appeal. So we'll, we'll find out if I, if I was wrong. LeBron wants to be an owner, that. so... You already get part ownership by thinking the LeBrons if you are the LeBron. Now you're thinking outside of the box. I like that. <laughs> the next thought with Kawhi was, how about the Los Angeles Celtics? How about that? You know? I think the Celtics are taken. Eh, I mean, we could be like the West Coast Celtics, you know? Like, we got different color schemes. What color we would you defense. make the Celtics? Uh, I don't know. Maybe we do like a... Like a like a light green with like a with a with a white maybe ah because they have the darker green so if you make it light green nobody would have an issue with that I'm that's, sure you know that that's, that, that was my do fault. you have anything else I had one Doc more Rivers. how about the Los Angeles Blue Devils because you know my son Austin you know he played for the Blue Devils you know <laughs> Coach K and everything and there are no Blue Devils in the uh, in the pros named pros but I know one thing if you're not talking defense Josh you're not playing defense. That's just plain and simple. You have to slap the floor? Mm. Would that be a necessity, a uh, requirement? Uh, how competitive can you be without losing your discipline? I'm Doc Rivers. Curtis Strange. Thank you, Doc. It is such a valuable tool we have, this direct line to Doc Rivers. Curtis Strange, longtime golf commentator, world golf Hall of Famer, will join us in 20 minutes. We're going to be broadcasting live from the Wyndham Championship Thursday and Friday, first and second round action from Sedgefield Country Club inside the Margaritaville. So if you're attending the first and second round, feel free to drop by and say hello. We'd love to meet you. The big thing I want to talk to Curtis about is the big topic of this week. It's the change in schedule for the PGA Tour, this event being bumped up, the three-event playoff following it, the last regular season event with the Wyndham Rewards Top 10. And while the field 
is better than it's been in past years for the Wyndham as a result of where this is located and the Wyndham Rewards Top 10. Jordan Spieth being the signature name on the field. Is it something that will get better? Six weekends in a row playing golf, that's not ideal going into the playoffs. Mark Brazel, the tournament director, joined us yesterday, and he admitted as much. But he felt this field was good. It's the field he thought he would get, but he believes it's going to get better moving forward as players further understand the schedule and there's some break in between tournaments to allow for players to want to play in this without stretching themselves. Next year you have the Olympics. So other than the U.S. Olympic, uh, U.S. Olympians competing in golf, players will have a break between their previous tournament and the Wyndham Championship, and that could make a big difference in getting some of these top names. Maybe it is a Phil Mickelson. Maybe it is a Brooks Kepka. Jordan Spieth's a nice consolation prize, but it is a good thing to know you have a better field and moving forward, it can get better. So we'll talk to Curtis Strange about that. But coming up, Drew Brees slips up. Zion Williamson continues to grow. And Katy Perry gets caught with her hand in the cookie jar. It's next on The Drive. This is The Sports Hub. Are you ready? At AM 600, AM 920. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. A reminder that we're going to be broadcasting the show live from Margaritaville, Sedgefield Country Club, the Wyndham Championship, Thursday and Friday. First and second round action, and again, that's where we're going to be broadcasting from later this week. But before we get to the tournament, I want to speak a little bit about here the lineage of Wake Forest golfers. It was really special to talk to Webb Simpson in the spring about this former deacon who just got inducted into the Wake Forest Sports Hall of Fame. And he just said to be a part of this lineage of golfers is a really neat thing. And on that note, we welcome in Curtis Strange, one of the best commentators on golf to the show, and another member of the Wake Forest golfing lineage, World Golf Hall of Famer as well. How special is that to the group, though, when you think about Arnold Palmer going way back when to you, to Webb Simpson, and heck, even Jennifer Cupshow getting the win in Augusta earlier this week at the first or earlier this year at the first ever Augusta Women's Amateur. How special is that lineage to you, Curtis? Well, I first want to say Jennifer and what she accomplished at Augusta this year in the spring was was fantastic and uh, gave us a lot of exposure and. Uh, you know, it's something special uh, to say you played golf at Wake Forest. It's, I think, it's something that's different than than uh, most other schools. We we have a connection. We stay up with each, with each other, and we stay in touch with the program as well as other sports. So, I think we have something just a little bit different and special. Even though Arnold Palmer played in the city of Wake Forest collegiately, did you and Arnie ever talk about your Deacon days? Uh, a lot. Uh, yeah, it doesn't matter where, where he attended school. It will still Wake Forest U. And, and uh, you know, he was very, very proud of his association, and he was very, very proud of the golf program uh, and those who came after him. And that was part of our responsibility 
when we went to Wake Forest and then thereafter playing professional golf was to, you know, uphold the standard that Arnold, you know, set before us. And uh, we talked a lot about it. You know, when you walked in his office, both in Latrobe and in in Bay Hill in Florida, there was Wake Forest memorabilia everywhere. And he was uh, he was a huge fan and uh, uh, he kept in touch. Follow Curtis Strange on Twitter at golf underscore strange going from the Triads Premier Golf University and Golf Program to the Triads Golf Tournament. What do you make of the field for this Wyndham Championship now that Jordan Spieth's name has been added to it, a late addition too? Well, it certainly gets better. Um, I, uh, I first want to say that, you know, my first introduction to any PGA Tour event was Greensboro. When I was there as a freshman, we went over on the weekend and uh, watched golf and watched the best players in the world, watched Snead and all of them, and, and uh, we critiqued every swing and watched everything about them. So uh, it has a lot of fond memories for me. Uh, you know, it's, it's probably not the best field of what, you know, Greensboro wanted, but I think coming on the heels of the fifth major uh, or fourth major, fifth month in a row of, of big tournaments, uh, and then right before the FedEx Cup, maybe a bit stuck in the middle, uh, coming off a World Golf Championship last week where most all the top players played, and now Greensboro and then get ready for the FedEx Cup. So those who played well in the year and are already in the FedEx Cup, maybe a week to take off. Those who are trying to get in, the FedEx Cup all planned, but you know everybody vies for the same dates every year, and some get them and some don't. But I rather talk about the positive, Josh, and that is we do have a solid field, and that Webb did, you know, is playing. Um, we got Jordan Spieth, and uh, it's going to be a great, great tournament as it always is. Sticking with the positive, it's better than it was in years past because of the Wyndham Rewards Top Ten, it being the final regular season event. But also, there's there's a lot of room for growth. Mark Brazel, tournament director, joined us yesterday. He said, next year, it's not going to be a situation where it's six consecutive weekends for guys. Then they're having to make a decision before the playoff whether they want to play or not. It's going to be right after the Olympics in Tokyo. And there's going to be a, a large group of players who get a break between tournaments who might get a chance to play here in Greensboro. Do you anticipate the field improving in future years with the Wyndham Reward Top 10 and just the way the calendar falls surrounding the Wyndham? You know, I don't know how much it's for the Wyndham Top 10, although thank you for their sponsorship. And and I will say Mark Brazil does a hell of a job. Uh, going back to Sedgefield was a huge boost. You know, Bobby Long, years passed with his people getting the tournament back at Sedgefield, Wyndham, the members of Sedgefield. It's, it really is nice. The best thing to me is the word of mouth by players. They all know it's a wonderful golf course and a great event. And sometimes it's just about where it falls on the schedule. And it sounds like next year it's going to be a little better. Speaking of word of mouth with the players, last month we were speaking with last year's champ, uh, uh, Brant Snedeker, and he said that it's still something a lot of guys are talking about in clubhouses, figuring out the new schedule. How do you think players you've talked to are taking to the new PGA Tour schedule? You know, it's, it's a change, and we are creatures of habit. When you get into a certain routine, and, and if you play well, you seem to stick pretty close to that routine. And there's nothing negative about the tournaments you don't play. It's just 
summer, you know, spring uh, tournaments, summer tum- tournaments, uh, some time with the family during that time. But this year, all of a sudden, we had starting with uh, uh, the PGA, we had, and, and including the players as a major, if you if you want to, five straight months of a major, and it really changed for the players. There was really no time off of of two weeks or so because you had to start preparing for the next one as soon as you finish the one before. So that in itself, I think, puts some, I'm not going to say strain because, my gosh, we're playing golf. It's not that damn hard. (laughs) But uh, it it did change scheduling. And now with the FedEx Cup earlier in the year, trying to get ready for, you know, for for the end of the year, which is earlier, I think it's all condensed a little tighter, uh, a little more golf being played by some of the players, which is a good thing. Uh, But like I said, you know, other than some of the international stars that play around the world that really do have a tough travel schedule, those of us who played, you know, the majority in the U.S., it ain't the hardest thing in the world. We're very lucky to be able to play this game and get paid, you know, uh, you know, a lot of money to do that. It's Curtis Strange with us on Twitter at Golf underscore Strange on with us on the Triad Sports Hub. How divided are people in golf on Brooks Kepka's successful approach, but one that features much less practice? You know, Josh, I just I just heard that this past you know two weeks ago before the the Open Championship, just like many other people, and it, it took me aback a bit uh, that he says he doesn't practice before uh, PGA Tour events, only before majors. Uh, if that is true, which I sometimes question if that's exactly true or not but uh if it is true then you know who's he shortchanging uh, himself really because he's an incredibly talented young man that has many years in front of him to win many tournaments and we get into this game not for the money we get into this game because we love it so much and we really want to do the best we can i don't care if it's junior golf college golf or professional golf and if you don't take each round seriously and each tournament seriously, then you're only short-sighting yourself and, to some extent, the fans. So uh, I hope it's not true. You know, sometimes we say things that we really don't practice, but uh, he's certainly a hell of a player. And if he doesn't practice as much as I think he should, then, gosh, how good could he really be? What impresses you most about what he's done? You know, I've had a chance to watch him play uh, quite a bit. And he's uh, got a wonderful swing, uh, a simple swing, a very strong swing. He's a strong, strong young man. But even more than that, I love his attitude, other than the practice statement. I love his attitude that he goes about his business. Uh, He doesn't seem to let the outside noise bother him too much. Although, you know, internally, we'll never know. His thing, when he wants to do it, and... uh, that in itself is admirable because in today's time of, what, 24-7 social media, it can get to you. Now, I say that with this thought that the young kids grow up with it, unlike we of my generation. So it's a different bird for us. But uh, for them, they grow up with it, so maybe it's not as big a thing as we think it is. Again, he's on Twitter at golf underscore strange, some of the best golf commentary you'll find curtis strange spending time with us here on the sports hub it's good to have you on in the triad curtis thanks for doing this hey my pleasure it's uh the triad was home for me and it still is like my you know adopted home years later and i live in carolina now and so i follow everything about the triad and 
in all of Carolina, and it's uh, it's it's great fun, but it's also great to talk to people like you and reminisce a little bit about college golf because it was a great some of the greatest years of my life. Yeah, that's so neat to hear. Thanks again, Curtis. You got it. Thank so you. Man. That's Bye. Curtis Strange with us here on the drive, World Golf Hall of Famer and one of the best golf commentators out there, and a part of this family tree with Wake Forest Golf that is truly unique. When you have recent Wake Forest Hall of Fame inductee, Webb Simpson, Arnold Palmer, of course, the signature name on that billing, Curtis Strange, and I'll even throw Jennifer Cupcho in there for the history she made earlier this year. And also, just to reiterate the point of how this lineage seems to be continuing down the line. It's not just Jennifer Cupcho, though. They have a great program and a lot of great players, as we saw with their run to a national championship, which just fell short against Duke, but it was uh, certainly riveting to watch. All right. Somehow, some way, Zion Williamson is continuing to grow. Is that possible? It's next on The Drive. I love talking and conversing with you. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham, the The Sports Sports Hub, at AM 600, AM 920. We've got a full studio right now. We're sharing with Darren Vought from the David Glenn Show. Brant Wilkerson New from the Greensboro News and Record here. Jonathan Jones will join us from Sports Illustrated in about 10 minutes. It's Throwback Tuesday. And the team we've selected, the Houston Astros, they are in first place in the American League right now. So, we're looking not for the best guys. Throughout the summer, once a week, we get nostalgic about baseball because unlike most sports baseball it connects us to previous generations and to our childhood and to our past we're not looking for the best guys we want the nickelbacks of the houston astros and if you have a good one send them in on twitter at sports of triad or on the phone 336-777-1600 such as andrew right here on twitter who sends in morgan Innsberg. Third base. David Andrew. Yeah, right off the top of my Stealing list. Stealing my thunder. Was that number one on your list? Former yeah. Bowie's, que- Bowie's Creek Astros manager. Wow. Morgan Innsberg, high up on the list. So, great soul patch, by the way. Was yes. Last week we were talking about baseball soul patches. It was. I completely omitted Morgan Innsberg, and I apologize. Excellent facial hair. Morgan Innsberg, and specifically the soul patch. Let's go through the list of guys that do not qualify for this list. Because I think there's a number of them. Players who are just too good. And it starts with the killer bees. All of them. No Biggio, no Berkman, no Bagwell. Right. They are three of my seven I have written down as no go. Beltron, no go. Carlos Beltron, correct. Roger Clemens, no go. Roger Clemens is a no go. Roy Oswalt? Roy Oswalt, to me, is a no go. He's on this list also. Too good. Andy Pettit, too good. Andy Pettit. Is on this. List Are we seven for seven? We're seven for seven. But I've there's got, one more though. I've got one more that I I wasn't sure. Do you want to say it in unison in case we got the same one? We've never done this right before. Let's okay, see if we got on, it on three. One, two, three. Miguel Tejada. <laughs> Billy Wagner was the shutdown closer for a while. What so. about should Mickey? be a Hall of Famer, the pride guys. of Taswell, Virginia. Okay, Billy I agree Wagner. with Wagner being taken off. What about Miguel Tejada? Fairham College, stand up. What about Miguel Tejada? 
How long was he an Astro? I don't even. He was there. That's where he left my beloved Baltimore Orioles for. He was he there was, for a few years. He was over the hill at that point. Yeah. But he was such a good player. No, I mean, his career, the body of work means that you shouldn't mention him in this, in right. this game. Based, yeah. on, based on the rules you guys have laid out over the past couple Which of months are with none. this game that, that shifts weekly, it <laughs> seems as if, if they were ever really, really good before or after they were with said team, they don't count. David tweets in Octavio Dotel. <laughs> The top two on my list. I mean, really. Look at this it's just an, an incredible baseball name. Right? Octavio Dotel. Octavio Dotel is a fantastic. Three three six seven 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 one six hundred on Twitter at Sports Hub Triad. We'll continue to visit that. The very top one on my list, Carlos Lee. El Caballo. I don't know. That. Is he too good? He was too good. I think he was too good. Wow. This is the first time you've pushed yeah, back yeah. saying a guy is too good. Incredible. We might need a party, <laughs> maybe even fourth party, to see where we're at here. Brant is Carlos for the Astros. Uh, he might have been. It's, he was a little bit too much of a household name, I think, for a little bit there. Okay. It was a very short window. Okay. But during that Two window, out of three in the studio says well, that, that it's not. It could be the same for one of mine. No, 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 he stays. Jose, Jose Lima. Lima's great. Hit the Kroger. Look at his photographs. 46 and 42 with a 4.77 ERA. I feel disappointed that Carlos Lee lands you directly smack dab in the middle. Let's go to number two on my list. Wandy Rodriguez. <laughs> Done. Done. Look at his photographs. He cleaned up in fantasy baseball. Oh, my God. Yeah. He, Wandy was an excellent player. Didn't he go on to play for the Pirates for a little while? Yeah, he was a Pirate for a little bit. Um, just a really good player. Yeah. The Astros went to the World Series in 2005. So you have a lot of guys. That's why you have a list where there's seven or eight that have to be off of it. Well, and they, they didn't win the World Series, but they, but they were, were runner-up to the White Sox. During that stretch, they were notorious for picking up guys near the ends of their careers. Like, you remember Jeff Kent played a year oh, Jeff for the Kent. Houston Astros yeah. at second base, and he's obviously too good. Then you got, of course, Miguel Tejada, who was there for just a short while. Right, and they brought in Clemens and Pettit both late in their careers, although they were both still pretty good. Let's go to Mark and Winston-Salem. Mark, give me a throwback Tuesday Astro. Cesar Fidenio. Thank you, Mark. Cesar Cedeno. Maybe a little old, but whatever. We'll let it slide. It, it is a little old, it's but funny. it's just a great name. It's funny. Give Ned. Me. Ned in Greensboro. <laughs> I'm sorry, Bruce Brant. Chin. <laughs> Bruce Chin? <laughs> Wait, did he play for the Astros? Wait, when did Bruce Chin he, play for the Astros? He played for everybody. 03-04. That a boy. All right, okay, He's done there you homework. go. Yeah, I for like sure. It. Get, 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 hit him with the nickelback. Thank you, Ned. That's off the wall, Ned. I like it. Bruce Chen probably qualifies for half the league. What, what were you saying, Brant? I would like to suggest uh, Richard Hidalgo. <laughs> yes! Next on my list! Look at this photograph! Richard Hidalgo! I, I'm going to double check to see if Bruce Chen played for the Astros. He said 0304. I'm checking right now. I know he was a Philly. He was, of course, an Oriole. Brave. He was a Brave. An Indian. Royal. <laughs> he was an Indian. Bruce Chen, definitely an Indian. I don't remember him with the Houston Astros. I don't, at but all. that makes it even better. Oh, he was 2003. He played for the Houston Astros. All right, love that. There you go. He spent one year with the Astros. Good enough to be a Nickelback. Uh, 
May I? Bruce Chen played for 11 teams. Okay, so we already have a lot of my Not names crossed off here. I have one name left. I have five. Give me one. Julio Lugo. Wait a minute. Julio Lugo definitely qualifies, but Astro? Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Look at this photograph. I, I don't think of him with the Astros. That's the first I, uniform I picture him in. Okay. Brad Ausmus. Yeah, of course. Catcher who manages now, done. There's, I mean, yeah. Look at this there's, photograph. There's a handful of them. A I've handful got, of guys that are managers now that are nickelbacks in the 2000s. Give me the best one each of you guys have remaining because we need to get the Jonathan Jones who's going to join us in a second. Jeff Blum. Jeff Blum. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this photograph. You're really coming in with fire today, yeah, Brad. Really you good are. at this. A career war of three point three. I mean, that's as average as you get. Love that, Jeff Blum. Darren, are you going to send us out on top? Brad Lidge. Wait, wait. You're going to say he's too good. I really like Brad Lidge. Beat I- it, nerd. Come on. Look at this photograph. Lidge qualifies. Brad Lidge qualifies. Okay. Wait, he was a two-time All-Star. Dez, you, uh, I'm glad. I'm glad Dez is my ally here. But so there when, has to but be Dez some just comes here. in with arbitrary on this game, things, though. Like, Dez, oh, he was an All-Star. I so one, often, I so often want you as my ally, very often. It's, it's, but in this game, I'm fearful of my ally. <laughs> I'm just reading it's, stats. It's the <laughs> only game where I'm fearful to have you as my ally. Nah, don't be, brother. You're good to go. I'm just reading stats here off of our friend Google. Yeah, which what does did you, you just say? No good in this game. <laughs> Jonathan Jones got pretty close to Cam Newton when he covered him day-to-day with the Charlotte Observer. Now he's with Sports Illustrated. He's been there for a little while. How much different is this Cam we saw speaking to Peter King this past weekend, this Cam we've seen on YouTube and on James Corden and All or Nothing, versus the one we saw playing in a Super Bowl a little over three years ago? We'll ask JJ that next on The Drive. Look at this photograph. Okay, here we go. This is the Sports Hub at AM 600, AM 920. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. Brant Wilkerson New and Darren Vaught are hanging out in studio. It's amazing how a specific song can get you to a place. Does this song... I don't know what you think of when you hear it, but I always think of John Cusack in High Fidelity. It's the beta band. And we had Cusack on just recently, last month or two months ago. He was having a showing, High Fidelity, in North Carolina. So I always go to this song. Anyway, Jonathan Jones from Sports Illustrated now with us. You can follow him on Twitter at jjones9. Were you a Cusack fan at all, JJ? JJ, were you a Cusack fan at all or no? Do we have Jonathan Jones? I hear him there. I'm here. Ah, there there he is. We were just talking about John Cusack, Darren Vaught and Brant oh. Wilkerson New here. You a fan of uh, Cusack at all or no? No, I am, and, and that's exactly you mentioned it, High Fidelity. That's where I know that song, uh, Dry the Rain, right, by, uh, by the Beta Band. Wow! JJ, right on point! Yeah. That's incredible stuff right there. We we saw Peter King earlier in this in the week talking to 
Uh, Cam Newton, it's the first time he did an interview talking about his shoulder since the Saints game last December. And we saw a guy who was talking about his football mortality, and we saw a lot of it in All or Nothing. And he has his YouTube channel, and he's been on James Corden. You covered the Panthers really closely for a long time, so how different is this Cam we've seen in the offseason and earlier this week from the one we saw playing in a Super Bowl a little over three years ago? Uh, definitely different than having played in the Super Bowl. I think in the, the time since uh, has, has, you know, has humbled him a little bit, right? And I'm using that in a relative term. Um, you know, he's not on top of the world international superstar like he was uh, following the 2015 season, uh, heading into that 2016 preseason. And, and so, you know, we're all talking about getting back to MVP form, and now he's had two shoulder surgeries. And he goes on James Corden when, you know, no disrespect to James Corden, but after that 2015 season, he was going to be on Letterman, or, if, you know, if that was still on. Uh, in 2015. So, um, you know, he's taken a, a bit of a step back in the public eye, um, at least internationally and nationally. And so to hear him talk to Peter King and uh, say some of those things, I kind of had the same reaction uh, that North Turner had, where you just kind of roll your eyes because, listen, about two years ago, I wrote a story that said Cam Newton is going to run less. There's no doubt they're going to change his stripes. Uh, and then he went and re- uh, rushed more times than he had in his entire career in a season. What do you think of Cam Newton's interests beyond football? If he if he said I'm done with football tomorrow, what do you think he gets into? Well, I've I've long thought, and especially since that 2015 season, I think that he has tried his best to position himself in like a Michael Strahan post football move. I'm not saying that he would be as good as Michael Strahan. I'm not saying that he would be as successful as Michael Strahan. But I don't think that that's some. I think a lot of players should aim for that. Um, where you, your your Q score is very high, you're loved by everyone, you're versatile, uh, you get a lot of your private jets paid for to go out to different things. So I think that he, you know, listen, when he came into the league, we're talking about Peter, Peter King interviews with Cam Newton, entertainer and icon. He's wanted to do that on the field. He succeeded in ways uh, in doing that on the field, but certainly off the field he wants to do that. And uh, there's no better example than Michael Strahan. It's Jonathan Jones with us on Twitter at jjones9. Read his stuff, Sports Illustrated and si.com. So when you're looking at this more efficient style, we saw it. He, he was 69% completion, 10% higher than his career average last year, and the Panthers were 6-2. and two. If his shoulder is right, and I know that's a big if, if it's right, what does that mean for Cam Newton? Can he play at an MVP level? I think so. I, I like this offensive line. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this offensive line and how this offense goes without Ryan Khalil, who was, you know, really an unsung hero uh, along that line. You know, if you want to look at PFF grades, for example, of what Ryan Khalil did or did not do on the field, I understand, but um, his reach really did go beyond just, you know, who he was blocking in front of him and, and not something as nebulous as good locker room guy. He did a lot for that offense in the huddle and, uh, and on plays. So, that's going to be interesting to see. Of course, you mentioned it. It's if the shoulder holds up. It's um, you know we're already seeing seeing Cam take a day off. You know, just two or three practices in. Um, what's going to be the new normal? And is it going to be in week eight uh, that he's not practicing on Wednesday or Thursday? Is it going to be that he can't throw the ball twenty yards down the field come week thirteen again? And when those if and when those things start to happen. You really have to worry about his long-term career and obviously his long-term future in Carolina. But 
if everything is as good as it looked the first week in Spartanburg and that continues on and on, yeah, 62 last season, I don't see why that can't happen again. Let's go through some training camp quick hitters from around the league with Jonathan Jones of SI. Tyreek Hill returned to practice, and even though he's a little banged up today, did the NFL have any missteps with the way they handled Tyreek in your mind? Um, <laughs> you know, I, if the NFL should really be in the business of policing these things, uh, that's, that's a difficult question. Uh, we've seen that they have been inconsistent before. You know, I, this is not me rushing to the, to the defense of the NFL, but if the police could not, uh, did not have enough to charge Tyreek Hill or anyone else with a crime, with all of the information available to them, I would find it very difficult for the NFL, with a much lower bar, granted, uh, being able to uh, punish him when, the, when law enforcement will not share that information with the NFL. Why, why does the NFL, J.J., put itself in a position as a moral arbiter and set itself up to do something that, as you mentioned, the criminal justice system struggles with when you talk about abuse and sexual abuse? Because you know if he gets handed one or two games, Tyreek Hill, the Golden Tate news will come out and uh, they'll say, why are you giving a guy four games for substance abuse versus... Tyreek Hill and what he was alleged to have done. Why does the NFL even bother with it? Well, it's, it's difficult. You know, obviously, sometimes you get those legal gray areas where, you know, again, a crime well, was likely committed. Um, you know, it's the same thing in, in a lot of people's uh, line of work where uh, just because you don't have uh, necessarily some criminal charge against you doesn't mean that you don't face punishment by your employer. It just so happens that the NFL seems to have two left feet when they do this dance. But the teams probably are the ones that want this to happen. In the end, Goodell works for the teams, and the teams would rather have Goodell be the meat shield versus them having to establish the punishment. Oh, absolutely. And then I think this all sets up for, you know, when we get to the new CBA, um, you know, so much has been made of it, especially the last five or six years, that when, will Roger Goodell give up some of that control, some of that power? Okay, Uh, is that a concession that he and the owners will make to the players, sure. Uh, and they say, okay, well, we gave you this pound of flesh. What are you going to do for us? When obviously that should be something that they, you know, first day of CBA negotiation, Roger Goodell should go ahead and hand over that that judge, jury, and executioner power. Ryan Fitzpatrick seemed to be the leader in the clubhouse in Miami starting over there. It seems like if Fitzpatrick starts, that's almost four or five wins that you have, even with the bad team. You have Josh Rosen, who you traded up or you traded to get um, from the Arizona Cardinals, and many think that you're tanking for next year for Tua anyway with a first-year head coach. The hell the Dolphins doing, J.J.? Oh, they're going to be bad. Um, they're, they're not, they're, they will probably be the worst team in the NFL, and it's by design. Um, and so, yeah, they're, they're tanking for Tua. There's, there's very little doubt about it. Um, whether Ryan Fitzpatrick, and, I under, and I've heard those reports as well, that he's in the lead right now. You know, time will tell whether that bears itself out uh, until he fits Patrick himself yet again. Um, but, yeah, no, they're going to be very bad. Uh, and you say, Ryan Fitzpatrick, in the past, usually when he is on at least an average team, he's good for four or five games until the bottom falls out, right? And that's, I think, the point that you are making. This is a very, very bad team. So if they go 3-13, and 13, I think that's, that's kind of my feeling for the Miami Dolphins. Because the worst thing you can do is play Fitzpatrick and win four or five games 
not have the number one pick and also not know what you have in Josh Rosen? Or does that answer the question? If Josh Rosen doesn't beat out Fitzpatrick, you know the answer. Yeah, I, I would think. I, I think Josh Rosen is a talented guy. I think he's a more talented quarterback than, than Ryan Fitzpatrick, and so it would surprise me if they go a 16-game season and Josh Rosen. Honestly, you know, if you can, uh, you know, take care of injury, well, Josh Rosen should play the majority of those games. Last thing for you, JJ. Most importantly, best place to eat in Spartanburg. Oh, I love to go to Gerhardt's. Um, that's uh, that's one of my spots. But you know, uh, sometimes you, you get a couple of drinks in you. It's been a long day. That hot sun out there. Practice. You you were sweating. You go to the Spartanburg Marriott Hotel and you just saddle up over there, have a few drinks, and uh, and, and get a flat iron steak. Well. It's good stuff, and you're making us hungry. Thanks for doing it. We appreciate uh, the insight, JJ. Hey, thank you. That's Jonathan Jones on Twitter at jjones9. So, John Cusack movies. Rank them. High Fidelity is number one. Easily. Without a doubt. I mean, that's a top. There are people I, who right, say, I feel like in sports media, we're, we're all sort of prone to do this, claim something is top five, whatever, in our lives. I admittedly it is such do a it a lot. Media thing. I I admittedly do it a lot, but I sincerely believe High Fidelity is a top five movie of all time for me. Wow! Yeah, but I, there I are people. There are five. people who would say say anything though. I respect it. It's a classic. If I ranked like a top one hundred or fifty movies, it's probably in. But uh, no, High Fidelity's got a got a special spot. What I, about Gross Paint? Uh, gross Point Blank. Again, good. You have the you have the British accent lady from Goodwill Hunting whose name slips my mind and I know it's incredibly disrespectful to say it that way, so I apologize to her. Do you know the name of the actress? It's Minnie Driver. Minnie right? Driver. Minnie Driver. I'm sorry to Minnie Driver. <laughs> I love Goodwill Hunting. But Gross Point also Blank. Also top five. No joke. Also top five for me. Gross Point Blank is right there for me with high fidelity. Okay. Except, I think what puts High Fidelity in higher regard, two things. One, nostalgia for record stores. It doesn't date well for that reason. And also, the impression that this lady, Missy Driver, has engroined... What? what? Minnie, like the mouse. Minnie Driver. Not Missy, like Elliot. Like, in gross like point golf. blank, she is a talk radio <laughs> host, like and it's the worst show I've ever heard. Benny Driver's show in Gross Point Blank is the worst radio show of all time. It's pretty bad. It's almost like um, there's a radio show at the at the beginning of the music video, Petey Pablo Freak a League. <laughs> I like that radio show. Can you pull that up? Just the first. <laughs> wow. See, see if it's appropriate. The first 15 to 20 seconds. Fictional radio shows. How do Let's we, rank those radio shows. How do we get paid to drink Seagram's Gin? <laughs> Frazier? Fra- Frazier? That's what Petey Pablo said. Fictional, yeah. uh, fictional. We, got, we got pizza, but. <laughs> also, if you're talking about fictional radio shows, you got to go with Frank the Tank in Old School at the very end. Yeah. He's, he's spinning records. Yeah. That had to be a Are good there one. other fictional radio shows? You got Mini Driver in Gross Point Blank. I'm down going down this road here. Then you have Frank the Tank, Will Ferrell, and Old School. And you also have (laughs) 
Petey Pablo. How appropriately, though. And Freak-a-Leak. How uh, appropriately, though, what about the douche from Parks and Rec? Wow. Nick Kroll. Nick Kroll, radio host. Joe mm. Dirt goes to tell his Joe Dirt story. with Dennis Miller. <laughs> wow. Another great fictional radio show. That was before Dennis Miller went completely off the reservation. Yeah. Was that pre-Monday Night Football, Dennis Miller? Hey, babe. He was on Monday Night Football for a year. Let, let's make the most obscure reference I can about a nondescript six-yard pass. <laughs> let's take some calls from the request line. Calling number one. Hey, man, what's up? This How many of the women can you Stop! What's up, Dominic? Stop! Stop! All right, I got that coming right up for you. Now, shout out to the radio station that gave you what you wanted. W boom boom B yeah, there you go. And that's Russell Wilson's uh, wife, Sierra. I, I had to listen to that four times to make sure there was no curse words in it, and I'm still not sure. What was the name of the radio station? Uh, w Boom 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 or something W like that. Boom Boom <laughs> Boom. What were you w saying boom, while boom, interrupting <laughs> Petey Pablo? <laughs> How many of the women could you name that he names in the song? Wow. wow. When did the song come out? The song came out This had to come out like 2006. Two, uh, 2008 is when this video got posted. But yeah, right. somewhere in there. Russell Wilson's wife to be Sierra. Are there other fictional radio shows? Ah, on Twitter. Good morning Vietnam. I mean, I mean it's based Good on Good morning Vietnam. But that was That's real. a radio show, but it was real. The but, guy's name was Adrian Cronauer. or Robin Williams was portraying him. That still counts. It's a radio show we in a movie. Fiction. It's a, a movie. Fine. Movie radio there shows. We go. Are there other examples where radio, I guess Good private parts with Howard Stern. Morning, private parts with Howard Stern would qualify. Right. That's if we're going real, down that route. That's a real radio show, though, right? When well, it's based so on was, this real show. So was Good Morning Vietnam. WKRP. Mm. It's like an entire show about fictional yeah. radio. Yeah, series of, yeah. I used to hate that show. That's the show that's on when like you're 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 running in and out of the house in the summer, and your grandma gets mad at you, and she makes you sit down, and you have to watch that, and you yep. have to watch in the heat of the night. That is and- a specific <laughs> memory associated. <laughs> but but you know what I'm talking Somebody's about. I want to relate to that. Yeah, yeah Mama's family's on all the time. How is it on all the time? I don't know. What channel even is that? Right. What do you got in ticket to the house today, Des? So I've been bouncing around, and I figured I'd actually uh, help everyone out that listens to the drive with Josh Graham, the entire triad. You more than likely have been affected by a breach in your security, and I'm going to help you get some money out of it. Is this the Face app? No. That's next on the drive.